Hello and welcome back to Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter, news, and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. And before we actually start today, I've got a variety of at-the-top-of-the-show announcements to make. Last time, we announced that our show is now available on Apple and Google Podcasts, and since then, we have also made the show available on Spotify. Links to that in the description down below, as always. In addition, since the manga was on break last week, we decided to put together a stream of Chrono Trigger. It's my first time playing through the game, so Jordan and I streamed it last week. The VOD of that stream is available on the YouTube pages and on Twitch itself if you were interested. We don't have a concrete plan about a streaming schedule just yet, but if slash when we do, you'll find announcements about that kind of stuff on our Twitter page. And again, links to all those things I just listed at you in the description down below. We also couldn't find anything of particular note for the new segment this week either, so we'll be skipping it like last time. Uh, and that's all the announcements. So with your indulgence, Jordan, I wanted to start the show this week by talking about something that happened in the anime, if that is cool with you. Throw it at me. You'll get a blind response right now. <laughs> Excellent. For context, this was the episode where Roger starts gathering all the road list in the flashback, right? Okay. And in the episode, Nekamamushi and Inuarashi says that they've got one of the four on Zo. Odin says he's got one on Wano, and Roger says that Big Mom had one, and he already has a copy of that one, right? Yep. And he already has an idea where the last one might be. Even in the modern-day caught-up manga folk have considered the location of the fourth one to be a mystery, right? Hasn't been brought up at all. But before I even watched the episode this week, I saw on Twitter that Henry Thurlow, it's one of the animators on the show, he pointed out with a screenshot that when they go to Fishman Island in this episode, Neptune shows off two pondolifts, which were just in black and white in the manga. But in the anime, you could clearly see one of them is red. Oh. So the fourth road pondoglyph, 20 years ago at least, was situated on Fishman Island. Okay, okay. Good to know. But, as you may recall, when our boys got to Fishman Island at the beginning of the post-time skip stuff, there was only one pondoglyph there. The discussion topic I wanted to throw out as a result of this is, what happened to that fourth pondoglyph between then and now? Any thoughts on that matter? fell down pardon it fell down it fell down fell down the ocean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's... i have i have had zero time to think that about this could... <laughs> uh... i mean fishman island itself is already pretty close at the bottom of the ocean so i think it would be a pretty easy to retrieve situation if it fell like the 300 or so <laughs> additional feet to the actual seafloor yeah but no one's no one's looked, have they? <laughs> I suppose not. Uh, I had some thoughts on the matter, if All you right. believe it. Uh, yeah, color me surprised. <laughs> Indeed. So I had three potential thoughts on this. So we know, and we don't know how long this was the case, but for a certain amount of time up until when he died, Whitebeard had kind of claimed Fishman Island to be his turf. So it's possible that... I believe the road pondoliths were brought up at the recent episode, and of course the corresponding manga chapter, where uh, Roger and Whitebeard and Odin are talking, and that's when Odin kind of 
pilches Odin from Whitebeard's crew. Right. So Whitebeard knows about the road Ponotolus, at least in basic details. So if Whitebeard, quote-unquote, conquered Fishman Island, do you think it's possible that he kind of hid away that fourth road Ponotolus so that unscrupulous people wouldn't be able to snatch it up and get to the final island themselves? Hmm. It, it certainly could be. I don't know if I ever really saw Whitebeard as sort of a, like, almost passive-aggressive person. <laughs> I don't think he's he would do it, like, out of spite or anything. I don't know about spite, but Whitebeard was on the same crew as Big Mom and Kaido. So Whitebeard would try to already know the kind of people that would be, like, the Nets closest to getting to Laugh Tale, right? Mm-hmm. One of those people being Big Mom, since she actually had one of the Rodeponid lifts at this point. So if I were Whitebeard, and I knew, okay, I have an opportunity here to have a Rodeponid lift. Next in line, now that Roger is dead, is probably Big Mom. She's kind of a crazy person, and maybe don't want her to get there. So, just saying, as a matter of convenience, Whitebeard hiding is probably the, the most likely option. Okay. And if that is so, there is someone on Wano right now... That has a potential to tell Luffy and the gang where he might have hidden it away, being Marco, number one guy. Yeah, Marco is pretty high up there. Second thought I had on this matter, in the same vein as the Whitebeard idea, there was a certain guy on Whitebeard's crew that would have been around when uh, Fishman Island was claimed as his turf, and thus may have himself had an opportunity to snatch up that road Poneglyph or maybe snatch it up after Whitebeard died, we don't know, being Blackbeard. Oh, okay. See, now that one, I feel, has more of a chance of coming to fruition. That narratively makes a whole lot more sense to me. <laughs> Indeed. So maybe up until when Whitebeard died, it was still chilling exactly where it was on Fishman Island, and then Blackbeard snuck in afterwards and snatched that baby right out of its little hidey hole. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'd buy that. And the third option I thought of, and I think this is probably the least likely, due to a reason I'll get into in a minute, is another apprentice on Roger's crew in this case. He was there when uh, Roger and them were there seeing it the first time, and would have had an opportunity after the fact to grab it if possible, being Shanks, another big player with potentially an interest in the final island. Yeah. But then I got the thinking, okay, he probably wouldn't have wanted slash been able to get it until after Whitebeard died, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he probably wouldn't have been able to do it at least as easily after Big Mom kind of claimed it as her turf during the time step. And in my head, Shanks seems to be a fairly benevolent guy in all of his showings so far. So you would think that if Shanks got to Fishman Island before Big Mom, he would have just claimed Fishman Island as his territory and then they wouldn't have had to suffer through the whole, you know, candy tax thing that Big Mom kind of laid upon them. Yeah, that all logically makes sense. As much as I want to, like, put my trust in Shanks, I'm always, there's always something in the back of my mind that's like, is he actually good? Is he actually a trustworthy dude? I don't know. We haven't seen enough of him to really, like, sell me on it. You're right. Every time we've seen him, he seemed to be a pretty chill dude. But even recently, he's had some sort of dealing with the, the Gorosei. Yeah, so. yeah. That's a that's a 
well, I don't know about a red flag, but yellow flag? I don't know. <laughs> Definitely a flag of some variety, that's for sure. Right. Definitely weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So all I'm saying is that sucker has to be somewhere, and hopefully we find out pretty soon. I mean, after this arc, not sure where we're going to be going specifically, but that's two Yonko down, in theory. It's going to throw the whole world into disarray with the power balance being fucked up like that. Yeah, I feel like we would also be getting into more uncharted territories almost because it's so far in the grand line and so many obstacles have been overcome at this point. Like, the herds would have been quite thinned by this point. Agreed. It does kind of, well, I suppose it doesn't necessarily kill the idea that one of the Pondolus was originally in this spot. But the main like theory for where the mysterious fourth one has been all this time was Elbaf. Oh. But now that the anime has kind of confirmed that to not be the case, <laughs> it doesn't seem that way anymore. Now, it could be on Elbaf now, but it kind of seems like all the road Pondolifs have some place that they were like originally placed, right? Like the one on Zoe has always been in Zoe. The one on Wano has always been in Wano. And it seems like the one on Fishman Island has probably always been there. So I think it's possible that maybe the one that Big Mom has originated from Elbaf. And that might be part of the reason that she's got beef with the giants, aside from, you know, how she murdered a great many of them <laughs> in her youth. Yeah, she has no shortage of beef. Indeed. Yeah, that, that all adds up. I like it. I'll probably talk with you about it more later. Indeed. It's amazing how much additional discussion topic we can squeak out of, like, a little bit of color in the anime. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Well, I've said it before. The The color is one of the most drastic changes between it, you know? So That's true. And I went back and checked that chapter in the manga after seeing mm. this tweet. And, like, the red ones are shaded a little bit differently, so we all probably should have noticed that there was a difference between the two in the manga. But... As far as I know, nobody did. <laughs> Not even me. Right. So. There was probably one person on the internet that yeah. posted it. But got like buried in new on Reddit or something. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to them. But sadly, that's where that stops. Indeed. That's all I have to say about the anime for this week. With that probably lengthy sidebar out of the way, this week we'll be covering manga chapter 1008 and rereading manga chapters 115 through 129. Start off with our cover page here. Yeah, questions right off the bat. If this is Robin helping the horse, what body part is that? Uh, what body part is she using to make the wings, you mean? Yeah. You can't really tell in the picture itself, but previously she's used hands. So I'm just going to operate under the assumption that that's the case here as well. I guess. You can see sort of on the edge of like the dark bit of the right wing, there's something coming off of there. Mm -hmm. kind of hand-like i just thought it was interesting that like it's i don't know so vague here i guess it is just a, a chapter cover so no need to put too much credit in it but i mean the fact that you can only really see hand-like features on the shadowed bit makes it very sinister looking now that yeah. i'm looking at it <laughs> you can also kind of see it on the the right side of that same wing coming off a little bit yeah but, uh, i guess that's true if you just pretend that bit's not there, then it's a very scary-looking horse. <laughs> Indeed. Even with its smile. Quite so. Well, that takes us into the chapter proper. We're back in that good old treasure repository right underneath the roof. Surprise! Odin's here. Or is he? 
Yeah, I mean, the first couple pages are just, I don't, it, it feels similar to the like exposition that we got from Queen and his underlings, where it's just like, okay, the first couple pages are just like, here's here's what's actually happening. Like, here's your explanation. Uh, mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. don't, I don't know. I feel like we didn't gain much information here as much as there are things that happen. Uh, that's true. I mean, pretty much everyone believes that it is or could be Odin, except for Ashura Doji and I guess... Rizo as well was pretty quick to figure it out as well Mm -hmm. but it does seem to be made pretty clear that in Kinemon's case at least he's just kind of he doesn't so much believe that it is him as much as he wants it to be yeah yeah he knows it's illogical but man he's been through a lot he's had his hopes raised for about mm, three seconds now (laughs) and he already doesn't want to let go of the possibility poor guy yeah but on the following couple pages, Ashura Doji proves his point by slashing not Odin in the face. And oh no, he doesn't bleed or even frown. <laughs> yeah, he seems to welcome it. It, it <laughs> leaves Ashura wide open for the stab through the chest, which is Indeed. pretty brutal. Poor guy. Now, I know Odin's like a pretty big guy, but in my head at least, Ashura Doji is like size on par with Jack. So, uh... I'm not sure the sizing in this panel is quite correct. You have Ashura Doji is that big? Really? I mean, I don't think he's quite that large, but we've seen him, like, in panels go toe-to-toe with Jack. This was many chapters ago when Ashura Doji was first, like, shown. But I think he was, like, in those panels at least, similar in size. Hmm. Well, size means nothing in One Piece, so (laughs) whatever. Pretty much. Even Ashura Doji wanted it to be him. They all pretty much agree, oh no, can't possibly be so. Turns out it's Conjuro. Doing as Conjuro do, being a great big bag of dicks. Turns out what's happening here is Conjuro is alive. Seems Kiku here pulled her punches a little bit when she was fighting him way back when. He is injured, but controlling this ink clone of Odin from a non-specific distance as it seems like his real body is going after Momonosuke. So uh, that's not great. It's interesting to me that Kondro is expecting to die. Even if like Kondro does get some strength back by the clone dying, he's also running headfirst into uh, Yamato and Shinobu, who in theory should be able to bop him without much difficulty if he's injured. From Conjuro's perspective, he, being an informant to Orochi, should, in theory, have some semblance of knowledge of, like, Yamato being buff, right? So I just think it's strange that he's run straight at him uh, with intent to kill Momonosuke, knowing that he's guarded by a fairly buff fella. Yeah, but he could try to pull off any sort of move to undermine it and hide his intentions or what have you that's true he doesn't necessarily have to go fight him in a straight fight right i doubt he would show up as himself or at least not right away you know that's that's definitely not his style as we've seen no reason he can't try and pull this same odin clone move on them jinobu's there she'll be fooled at least a little bit probably yeah long enough to get close maybe i don't know how yamato would react to that (laughs) 
how can I be Odin if you're Odin and you're right? Right, exactly. Like <laughs> existential crisis, crisis mode. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we'll see how that goes in probably not next chapter, but because we seem to be going back to the Luffy business by the end of this one. Yeah. But hopefully we get back to it pretty soon. So many moving parts in Wano. I'm dying to find out what happens with all of them. Yeah, that the end of this is just going to be a huge relief. Indeed. Before we move on from that, though, it seems like Ashura Doji uh, dies, huh? <laughs> yep. I, between the stab through the like diaphragm and the explosion, he he probably dead. I mean, I don't want Ashura Doji to be dead, right? I'm fairly fond of him as a character by this point. But I would find it very hard to believe if Oda pulled two fake deaths in like mm-hmm. three chapters yeah that's pretty excessive even for him also yeah nothing against this guy but someone has to die pretty much all that we've seen so far is what one person lose an arm like of the significant people yeah i think that's the most severe injury that's happened so far yeah and this is this is huge so if that was where it was left it would feel very underwhelming to me agreed a war of this magnitude with two of the strongest people on the planet would feel pretty hollow if there weren't like some named casualties. You need consequences for the story to have meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. Real quick, before we move on to Jack, there is one last thing I want to say about this Odin clone situation. Oh, okay. Even though it turns out the Odin was fake, this does not necessarily mean that whoever actually was treating their wounds a couple chapters ago was a fake or a uh, a being with ill intent or anything. We still don't have any idea yeah. what's going on with that. So, Right, that's a good point. Got to keep that in mind. Could be Toki. I'm still inclined to think it's probably Hiori. But uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. The Jack, though. Uh, he's going to fight Dodgestorm, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the most unexpected things out of this chapter. Just like completely out of left field these two head-to-head just recently these guys fought and it took both nekamamushi and ino arashi to take down this guy in their sulon form Mm -hmm. and now granted yes both parties are injured but you would think that would still give jack the advantage since he is you know only fighting one of them when it took both of them before so uh yeah ino arashi seems to think that the lack of poison gas is going to give him enough of an edge (laughs) but i really don't I don't see that as a thing at all. I think in that particular panel, he's just being especially salty over what happened on Zo, but agreed. Doesn't seem like he's got much of a shot here. <laughs> he says his job is just to keep him occupied, right? Like, he he knows he's not going to win this. Yeah, I'm worried for our dog friend. He's just got a cool lead sword. He does, Poor but guy. honestly, if someone else had to go, I I'd get over it pretty quick. Out of the remaining scabbards, you would choose Inuarashi to get the boot at this point? Well, don't go putting words in my mouth. I didn't <laughs> say that. I just said if it ends up having to be him, oh, no, that's, that's what fine. I heard. That's what I heard with my ears. I mean, given my choice, none of them would die anymore. I think they're all pretty cool. But, again, there needs to be consequences. Agreed. Especially with this group, they all came into this fight expecting, I think each and every one of them expected to die, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
if someone's going to go down, I think these guys are the most likely outcome. I don't think all of them are going to die. Somebody's got to stay around to help Momonosuke take the reins, but... Yeah, there will be some people there to help him, I'm sure. Indeed. Speaking of people who aren't really dead, uh, 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 Orochi, <laughs> there he is. Yeah, we knew it was going to happen eventually. <laughs> Indeed. Did not expect him to have a face quite so expressive. <laughs> the most sinister, smug-looking face <laughs> that ever existed. Yeah, it's like his eyes are happy and angry, but his mouth is all happy it's Indeed. a strange mix a real mix of emotions this man yeah also someone is getting shot in the background i think so uh, it's a heck of a panel indeed our earlobe friend fukura nojo who we just saw like 10 or so chapters ago swear felty to uh gaido turns out he's a bit of a traitor jump ship back to orochi for the time being i guess well, yeah, I would guess that this dude knew about Orochi's powers as much as anyone did. So I'm guessing Probably. he was in on this plan from the start. So do we think that Orochi survived because he has to be murdered once per uh, Orochi head so he can be decapitated seven more times before he actually dies? Is that our best guess? I've wondered about that. Like, if he turns into... The Hydra form, is there just going to be one less head? I don't know. It would kind of make sense, I guess. Eight heads doesn't really mean eight lives, but when it comes down to uh, Zoan fruits or what have you, we like there's no science on that. We don't know. <laughs> True, but in the case of this particular mythical Zoan, the Yamato no Orochi did in mythology had to be sliced at the head for each of its heads before it would actually fully die. Oh, so did it really? I, indeed. Oh, okay. Most of my knowledge of them is, you know, you cut off one head and another goes back, but that's... You're thinking that's... of Hydras. Technically not what he is. Wait, what is he exactly? He is based off the Japanese legend, the Yamata no Orochi. It's the eight-headed serpent of Japan, Japanese legend, as opposed oh. to the Greek Hydra, which is a different, similar, but different creature. Okay, I've I've totally been running on the assumption that he is a Hydra. Okay. I think I have also referred to him as a Hydra many times, perhaps even on the podcast. Um, but my bad. So. Technically incorrect. Okay, very good to know. A little bit concerned about his plan, though. <laughs> to burn it all down? Indeed. Yeah. Not only does he think that, or at least he seems to think, that'll kill Kaido, even though Kaido can just, like, fly away as he pleases right we've also seen him fall from great heights to no effect so like he's covered all around in this case i think they're still like above the ocean so like kaido in theory would drown well maybe not he's technically a fish i don't yeah. know how that would work um but he certainly wouldn't be able to swim i would think yeah that's true but even beyond that orochi he's also in this castle with nowhere to go Right, and he What's can't happen fly. No, not as far as we know. No. Maybe uh, Fukuro Nojo can like spin his ears really fast and create a helicopter oh, effect God, on the flying boat to safety. I hate that imagery. 
You didn't like that idea? No. It doesn't look good in your brain? No. Also, didn't, like, the whole chunk of land underneath Onigashima rise up? Like, you can't burn that. <laughs> uh, I think that's true. But if his fire is really good, Jordan, if it's really hot, yeah, <laughs> might just be able to do it. Really hot fire. It just burns down. That's correct. Uh, just ask Pokemon Fire is super effective against Rock-type Pokemon. Yep, not even going to double-check that. <laughs> I crunched the numbers. It's fine. That takes us back to uh, the Momonosuke crew. Apparently Momo has transformed back into a little boy and has re-entered Yamato's clothing. Who knows that Momo can turn into a dragon? It's pretty much just like the scabbards and straw hats, right? I think Law probably knows because okay. they traveled on the same ship for a while. I don't know if he's transformed into a dragon in front of all the scabbards, but some of them certainly know, like Conjuro and, uh, well, he hardly counts anymore, but Hinamon certainly knows. And I think Tama also saw it happen once. Okay. So keeping that under wraps is probably for the best. I suppose so. I mean, the people of Wano, the anti-Kaido forces at least, are certainly going to be pre predispositioned not to like dragons, especially, you know, the Kaido-esque ones. So, yeah, I guess, but he certainly can't hide it forever. <laughs> no, but it, it still could be, I don't know, it, it could cause the enemy to want to take him out even more, like could send stronger people after him. It could be revealed later at a strategic advantage. Like there's a lot of reasons not to divulge that information is all that i'm saying and if cp0 found out that indeed the the so-called failure fruit turns out to maybe not have been so much of a failure they might be so inclined to get involved in the fight as well right which wouldn't be great for our boys no it'd be downright bad indeed what do we think about yamato saying if only i could turn into a monster like him it would be such to help to everybody do you think that's just deconfirming the theory that Yamato has some sort of Zoan as well? Or do you think that she just means I can't turn into specifically a dragon? <laughs> you know, I originally thought that it was Oda disproving theories because he seems to enjoy doing that. But it also could... Well, I was going to say that it could be her saying, like, she doesn't have control over her fruit. Or, yeah, maybe it's just I can't turn into a giant fish dragon. But I still lean towards the disconfirming or confirming of non-fruit. But we saw chapters ago when she was about to fight against, I forget his name, but like the Triceratops guy. We saw a panel of her like growing fangs, or at least it seemed to be her. I mean, I guess it was zoomed in so we couldn't tell for absolutely certain. But that's what I took away from it, at least. Well, that could also be part of the... What was it? Bloodline elements? Oh, I... Hmm. Right? I Are you saying that, like, genetically she has some sort of fang situation or she was altered such that she does? Good question. My first thought was that it was just inherent from having Kaido blood, but I suppose Kaido could pull a judge and alter his children. Sure. 
Well, I don't know if either of those things are necessarily, well, I was going to say possible, but as far as we know, I mean, it still could turn out that Kaido's like originally an Oni or something, or like he's descended from like Orz's race, the really big giant mm-hmm. from a thriller bark. Thriller bark. Yeah. And if that's true, maybe he genetically could have passed down fangs or something, but we don't know if that's true yet or not. The longer it goes on, the more I'm inclined to think that it's probably not. Yeah, I and guess. we also don't know for sure, but Kaido doesn't seem like much of a scientist. But he does have Queen on his crew, who seems to have some sort of connection to Judge. So maybe, I guess it's possible. I, I just don't see why Yamato wouldn't have already busted it out or something. You know. Maybe she's only going to pull it out if like, she actually gets into a fight, and right now they're just running away, you know? <laughs> yeah, she could also just know that what she has is no match for Kaido. Yeah. Yeah, True. she she could just understand power scaling, I guess. Maybe whatever she can transform into just isn't as big and scary as a giant ass dragon. <laughs> right, yeah. We'll see. Could just be that we're overthinking it. I'm inclined to think it's probably that one. Yeah, but we love to do that. <laughs> Quite so. Last point on the Momonosuke thing. Everyone's kind of speculating, oh no, I sure do hope Lupi is okay. Uh, but somehow, Momonosuke just kind of knows what's going on on the roof. Not in detail, as far as we can tell, but he knows basic details at least. Right, I've been trying to wrap my head around what's going on here since I read it. And I, there's maybe two things that I've thought of. Mm-hmm. It could be that Momo has Conqueror's Hockey, and like he and Luffy are the only ones there with it, so there's a connection there. Mm. Or maybe the the creatures with the eyeball masks, uh, maybe they relay information, but it like hones in on Kaido through his devil fruit or something. And since oh. Momo has the same, That's it's also keep... getting sent to him. But that one feels like a big stretch. That certainly would be wacky. Possible, perhaps, but certainly wacky. Yeah. Momo just doesn't have much special going on for him other than the dragon fruit and his relation to Odin. The only other thing I could think of is that we found out on Zoe that similarly to Luffy and Roger... Momo has the ability to hear the voice of all things, whatever that means. Oh, I had He used it to that. understand what Zunisha, the actual elephant, was saying and also give it commands. So maybe it's it can also be applied in like a observation hockey type way that you can kind of just like be aware of stuff going on around him. Maybe it provides him with some sort of link to specifically Luffy because he also has it. Eh. <laughs> I don't know. It's got to be... Best guess, though. Yeah, it's got to be something. I guess, yeah, I, I kind of rescind my Conqueror's Hockey thing. I've forgotten about the, the voice of all things. They could be related, though, for all I know. Related to who? Each, each other? <laughs> Conqueror's Hockey and, Luffy the, and... and the voice? Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were saying that, like, Luffy was somehow related to Momonosuke. I was like, uh, that's pretty crazy. No. But I understand what you're saying. 
moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that I have embarrassed myself. We're back on the roof. Luffy's getting tossed around like a rad doll, and things aren't looking great for our boys. Luffy seems pretty convinced that, indeed, their attacks have been dealing some damage, though, so that feels good that at least one of the four of them, five of them, I guess, is confident. Yeah, it's a little concerning for the future. I don't know. Like, I don't know what to expect in this fight. We've got Kaido in his, like, hybrid form. Luffy just twice got sent flying. Mm-hmm. But this is also, like, he gets back up, and this is comparable or an homage to when he's been smacked around at the start of this, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's showing that he's at least on a different level of durability, which is... Certainly. Yeah, it's great for him, but if you look at everyone else, like, yeah, I guess Kid kind of has a smile on his face there, but, like, Law and Zoro, they don't... They don't look too good. Indeed. And uh, Killer is huffing and puffing there. Luffy himself is wheezing up a storm. And Zoro is as well. Meanwhile, Kaido and Big Mom both look totally fine. <laughs> Kaido looks like he's straight up on fire. Well, actually, they both do. Uh, I think Big Mom literally is on fire. That one makes more sense. I guess maybe it's an aura they have. Maybe there really is fire. I don't know. Well, I mean, Big Mom is literally riding on a giant fireball, so I think there actually being fire there is not only possible, but uh, confirmed. (laughs) Sure, but like, Kaido's tough, but to not even be phased by fire? He has hair. Sure, but it might also just be behind them. (laughs) I guess. You know? Yeah, well, I don't know. Oh, I guess I'm seeing the outline of the sword on top of the stuff Uh, behind kaido like it looks like the flames outline kaido so nicely that it just feels like it's on him but i guess it could just be in the area either way i mean kaido's a pretty buff guy and no doubt he's applying armament hockey to his hair so that he's authentic (laughs) that's why it's all black there we go mystery solved got it love it (laughs) law has a plan though he's of the opinion that they should split him up Divide and conquer. I guess that's a good idea, but uh, (laughs) still won't be easy for either team, I think. Well, I also feel like these two, no matter how you split them up, they could just meet back up if they felt like it. Like, what are you going to be able to do to stop Big Mom and Kaido from moving? You know, just drop one into the ocean? In that case, that's... That's different than just splitting them up. (laughs) If they can do that, they just win. (laughs) Exactly. So it can't be that. Plus, both of their enemies can fly. And aside from kind of Law and Luffy when he's in Gear 4, none of them can. So they can just avoid attacks by hovering where they so inclined. So it's going to be interesting to see what my boy's tactics here are. But I'm looking forward to it. I hope Oda does what he usually does, where he gives us a few chapters of this before hopping back to other things. What do you think the like optimal split up would be? How do you think they should divide this up so that both parties can operate at Matt's potential? Especially considering there are five of them, so the teams have to be uneven. I, hmm, this might be bold, 
but I would probably do Luffy, uh, Kid, and Killer. And then the other team would be Zoro and Law. Okay. And it would probably be Zoro and Law versus Big Mom, and then the other three against Kaido. I know that, like, Kid, as we've said, can't really do much to Kaido, in theory. Doesn't seem like he should be able to, but... (laughs) Yeah, but there's... There's got to be a way. I, uh, barring that, I guess I would put. Well, no, I kind of like the sword users being against Big Mom, though. I think the way you described it makes it certainly the most balanced of the group. Mm. Killer seems to be the weakest out of these five, so putting him in the same team as Luffy, theoretically the strongest, probably wise. Uh, kind of hard to place Kid on like a on like somewhere in this hypothetical tier list <laughs> i guess yeah. i formulated in my head i just kept him with killer as like a dynamic thing you know they probably would work well together so why not sure yeah we've already seen law maybe do some damage against big mom with his counter shot a few chapters ago mm-hmm. literally the second time we've ever seen big mom take any amount of noticeable damage so good for yeah. him i guess yeah um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Gotta say, Kaido looks pretty sick in his hybrid form. I imagine he probably got larger as well, so that's gotta be spooky. So, we'll have to... Did Kaido have a big mustache in his regular form? I don't remember. He probably I don't did, know if right? it was that long. <laughs> I also don't think he had a tail that it looks like he has now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Kaido had a tail before. <laughs> Which is too bad. You know, I would have liked him a lot better if he would have had a tail this whole time. He's got more horns than he previously did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All in all, it's pretty tight. Uh, that pretty much wraps up the chapter, unless you had another comment on anything that's going on here. I think earlier in this chapter, Yamato says, I wonder if your power works like my father's in response to Momo explaining that he used to like activate it by being surprised. Hmm. So that makes me say that Luffy is correct in saying that his attacks or their attacks are doing something because Kaido has activated his hybrid form. So even if he has like control over his emotions to pull it out or whatever, like they still got to him to the point that he felt the need to do this. Right. Uh, yeah. Even if Kaido's powers aren't necessarily linked to his emotions, like Momonosuke's are, like you said, at the very least, he feels threatened enough to have to go like full power beast man mode. So right. it's very impressive on Luffy and the Dane's part. Yeah. Probably Never been a long time since he had to do this. I don't think he did against uh, Odin back in the day. He got cut in his dragon form and then he bopped him real easy after that. So Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see all sorts of new stuff soon. You know what I'm thinking about now? Looking at this last panel. No, I do not. I'm pretty sure that when Kaido got cut when he was in his dragon form against Odin, I really could have sworn that cut was like dead center on his scaly snake body. But when he's Hmm. in his man beast form, it's like off to the side. That's weird. That is weird. We'll have to go back and double check that. Indeed. Sure will be embarrassing if it turns out I'm just wrong about that. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's correct. Yeah, just don't worry about it. That pretty much wraps up the chapter. Next chapter will hit next week, so no break. 
That's Easter Sunday, April 4th. We'll be back just a few days after that, dropping a new episode of the podcast. Yes, we will. But for the rest of this episode, we will be (laughs) jumping back to 115 to 129, which is the journey pretty much from Whiskey Peak to the end of Little Gardens, Mm -hmm. which was... It's a nice little chunk of chapters. It's a it's a little succinct story that we get a fair amount out of. Indeed. Lots of character stuff in this little chunk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one that happens is actually, in my opinion, for Vivi. She gets a quick, mm-hmm. healthy dose of culture shock, I'm sure. <laughs> Indeed. She goes from being royalty to joining a cutthroat group of assassins to being with the most carefree pirates ever, to being on Little Gardens. So she goes from pretty much the most rules you can have to an organization with a lot of rules to the Straw Hats with almost no rules to Little (laughs) Gardens with no rules at all. Indeed. So she could not be more out of her element, but handles herself quite well, I think. That's true. Straw Hats, as far as Vivi's opinion is concerned, aren't even following, like, the rules of the sea with how carefree they're being. Right. Yeah. I can imagine she would be very alarmed when first finding out what their style is, how lax they are when faced with the, the dangers of the Grand Line. But this is also the first time we see, like, Vivi interacting with the rest of the crew as herself. Mm-hmm. Previously, she rode with them for a little bit as Ms. Wednesday, and then there was, like, panic mode <laughs> that she was in on Whiskey Peak, but now... She has an opportunity to chill out a little bit and just be Vivi for a little while and must be good for her mental health to have that kind of break of sorts. Yeah, she gets freedom. I mean, Igaram isn't around and, you know, looming over her, even though he is trying to protect her. It's still, (laughs) well, yeah, he's dead. (laughs) But like that presence is gone. So I'm sure she can, yeah, really... I don't know, relax, let loose, any number of things. Indeed. Still does suck that he, like, died, like, yesterday. But, you know, she's taking it in stride. Good for her. (laughs) Yeah, if she didn't, they would die. Because danger everywhere. Quite so. Yeah. Including the first giants that we see in the series. Mm -hmm. And along with them, we got some trivia about them, which I didn't really know. Trivia? Well, just that they said the giants have lives that are three times the length of humans. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I just thought that was interesting because that came up when they were like, oh, we've been fighting for a hundred years. And then they were like, it's it's not that long. We <laughs> live three times the length of humans. And I was like, that's still, in theory, like a third of your lifespan. Indeed. If we assume that humans live a hundred years in one piece, based on what the giants are saying here, that's like the equivalent of you or I, you and I, I guess, fighting on an island for 25 long years every day so even that's a long time yeah well actually i i did the math on this as well and it's not every day it's well assuming again that there are 365 days in a one piece year they fought twice a day they fought twice on this particular day but i think it's just dictated by like whenever the volcano ever happens to go off you know which, after I did the math, comes out to twice a day. How did how'd you count that out? Well, like I said, assuming there are 365 days in a year, 100 years, that would be 36,500, right? 
Oh, you counted out based on how many battles they said they had. Yeah. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying. Now. Okay, good. I was like, I did, <laughs> I did the math. You can't argue about this. I was just confused about where you were getting your numbers from. Yeah, I remember. Gotcha. What they said. No. Yeah, I guess I should say they, during the exposition, there's a number of times where the giants say that they have fought like, I think it was like seventy six thousand, and some odd times, which. Yeah, when you do the math, roughly comes out to twice a day for a century. So, resilient dudes. Boy. Sounds exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Remember that uh, book that Nami found near the start of this arc that said something to the effect of, like, to the inhabitants of this place, it truly was a little garden, and that's sort of by Lewis Arnott or something yep. like that. I do. This guy must have been either pretty strong had excellent survival skills, or both of these two things, to have survived on Little Garden long enough for the law post to reset and therefore allow him to leave and then publish his book. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty impressive on this man's part. Yeah, I thought about it for a little bit. I actually, like, Googled the the book to see if it was a reference to something or if it, uh, if, like, the title or the author had come up previously. I think it was actually one of the books that was burned with Ohara, which is interesting. Oh, that's neat. I saw like a screenshot of the anime where it was in a pile of other books. So I was like, okay, cool. I mean, not cool. Book burning is the worst. but <laughs> Well, yes, but nice cool little detail, nod. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I couldn't really find anything on the book. I thought I was maybe going to see that like the last name was shared with someone else that was an explorer in one piece but no nothing i could find and the fact that the book mentions the giants at all means that he must have been there in the last hundred years or so somewhere in that range yeah roughly a hundred years so that's pretty neat nice little world detail that there are like people out there that explore and publish books and i guess we're pretty strong <laughs> Yeah, I would have liked to have learned more about this guy at some point, but it uh, doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Probably not. I just want like a copy of his book, if you can make that happen for me. Make the book real, give it to me. That would be pretty cool. I'd have to keep the first copy and maybe give you the second. Fine, I'll take the second edition, but just know that I will be peeved about it probably forever. So... I'm okay with that. <laughs> I was going to say... Do it at your own risk, but I see you've already made your decision. <laughs> uh, these are also, like you said, the first giants we see in the entire series. I think this is the first time it's even mentioned. I don't think there's any point prior to this where giants are mentioned as a possibility, but they're pretty cool. I like them both. I yeah, they're they're very cool. Personally, what I loved about it was the way that Oda handled their being giants. Like, for instance, they are well, obviously, they're really big, big. right? <laughs> and he shows that a number of times. But during the reread, I noticed that when the giants are fighting, they are shown as actual giants. They are very large. And then when conversations are happening, like at one point when Dory is having like that meal with Luffy, the perspective is shown in such a way that Luffy is in the foreground and uh, Dory is in the background, so they look more as equals. This is shown again later when Vivi and Luffy are like just talking to him, I think, like 
either right before or right after the exploding ale. And I thought that was awesome because Oda's basically saying with that, like, yeah, these dudes will, they, they could easily mess anyone up and they will, but they'll also sit down and put you on an equal level with them in a one-on-one conversation. Like they're not just mindless brutes. And I thought that was great. I didn't notice that visual detail, but I'll have to go back and uh, take a peek and see what you're talking about. Please do. Think to back on it. That sounds like it's definitely true, but... Yeah, I, I noticed it a number of times, so... Oda did such a good job showing off their size previously and then after that, like, he knew he didn't need to make that statement constantly. And for, mm-hmm. like, yeah, character building, it just makes such a difference to me. That's a pretty tight little thing you noticed there, Jordan. Thanks. (laughs) Let's see. What else did I notice? I mean, during these chunk of chapters, specifically around like 121, 122, where Zoro, Vivi, and Nami, they're in the process of being turned into statues. Mm -hmm. Zoro really gets to unleash his own personal brand of humor. (laughs) Just with like how matter of fact he is about turning into a candle and He says, you know, now I know what a birthday candle feels like. And if I'm going to be a statue, I want to be in this pose with his arm and sword raised. Like, (laughs) Indeed. I love how Oda manages to spread the comic relief around. I I think I said this before when, yeah, when Luffy was during the Arlong Park arc, where he was like fascinated with the windmill. Oda does such a good job of not making one character the butt of jokes for too long. Sanji kind of still gets the short end of it a lot of the time. Certainly these days. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it's great. It shows the human side of Zoro, who is kind of just a beef, a a chunk of beef sometimes. Like, he is just (laughs) a man made of muscle. Indeed. And Zoro has no problem jumping back and forth in this chunk of chapters in particular between jokey Zoro and let's get down to business Zoro where he's like okay can't count on Luffy showing up these guys are saying that he's dead I don't necessarily buy it but just in case if I do nothing we're all definitely going to die but if I chop through my legs and convince this giant to pull the sword out of his arm so that his hand probably gets cut off maybe they'll live and to Zoro that's a preferable option than just letting himself die which pretty cool badass moment for the three sword man and it made a i think Brody was the one who was there at that time it certainly made him respect him so that's pretty dope yeah it was it was a really good scene um uh, it's like uh i don't know it's similar to what you hear about animals being stuck in traps like they'll gnaw their own limb off to get away and if it buys you Another day, even, that is preferable. <laughs> I totally get where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Usopp also gets a fair amount of development, at least in terms of his dream in this chunk of chapters. That's true. Also, like, his tactics being his main thing. He thinks on the fly in this battle, and he puts his new dream of being a warrior of the sea to the test by going up against Mr. Five. He did a lot of somewhat brave things which was real good i think the fact that he showed up to fight like side by side with luffy was itself a very brave thing for him to do especially considering how many hits he had already taken and then 
how many he continued to take <laughs> for the rest of the fight. Oh, yeah. He got shot by Mr. Five like 12 fucking times. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy. It was. He got his revenge, though. Kind of. Yeah, the hot <laughs> pepper star was a yeah. nice way to finish it off. Classic Usopp. Strongest move in his arsenal. Every time. Even when I was like in high school, I think it was the first time I would have read this bit, it always really impressed me like how inspired Usopp was meeting these guys. Usopp going to the Grand Line, he kind of hesitated when they were all like announcing their dream. He didn't really seem to know what to say properly. Then he meets these guys early on in the Grand Line. He's like, yeah, this is it. Right, yeah, this, this <laughs> is what I've been lacking. Like. These guys, just for the sake of their honor, have been fighting a hundred-year-long battle for reasons neither of them remember. He's inspired by the warrior's way of life, and he's like, yeah, this is my goal now. Honor is a treasure, and Usopp believes that now. It's all pretty cool. Good for you, Usopp. It's a big turning point for him as, like, both as a character and as a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. I think Usopp has now gotten more fights with, like, real characters than Sanji has at this point in the series. Yeah, Sanji really has not done much lately. Are you saying up until Little Garden? Because if you're including Little Garden, I couldn't disagree more. Well, yes, he did... A lot rapid fire at the end of Little Garden, sure, but for mm -hmm. the majority of it, like, he just wasn't around. Yes, he did come through in the end, and he was crucial to what is happening now, but he was not the center of attention, is basically all that I'm saying. Well, that's true, but Sanji rarely is. You know, I mean, he's one of the main fighters of the crew, but he doesn't only participate through combat he's also kind of like an espionage behind the scenes mr prince kind of guy <laughs> you know what i'm saying and this is the first time he really has to show off that side of himself yeah i i guess i didn't really see it as that though like it doesn't in in this first bit it doesn't feel like he's trained in it to me like he just stumbles upon oh, no. the house and he's like okay i guess this is here. And it actually felt really weird to me that he would even stop and investigate it when he was hunting down Nami and Vivi being in trouble. Like, it felt very out of character for him to stop at anything in those circumstances. Hmm. But it was important, that's for sure. Indeed. I guess I do kind of agree that it is weird that not only would Sanji... I don't think it's that weird that he would stop and investigate it, because, you know, like, big weird wax house in the middle of the forest that's a little strange um but the fact that he stopped and like had tea and got distracted right while he was there a little weird maybe a little bit forced on oda's part to like have him there when crocodile called but he could have just had crocodile crawl whenever right right <laughs> could have just cut the tea thing all together and just have him walk into the room surprise crocodile's on the line yeah and it would have made perfectly sense timeline-wise. Yeah, it was a little weird, but whatever. I'm not going to harp on it too much. Even taking into account that it does seem a little bit forced, it did ultimately make Sanji kind of the MVP of the arc. Oh, yeah. He yeah. shows up, right? Sanji's free to move about because, you know, no one really knows about him yet. Uh, and then in a matter of minutes, he takes the straw hats off the Baroque Works radar by talking to the crocodile. 
gets the eternal pose to Alabasta, which means they can leave pretty much immediately, and, though he does not know it, puts Mr. Three on Crocodile's bad side, which, in theory, had it worked out, would have gotten Mr. Two to eliminate one of their enemies altogether on their way back to Alabasta. So, yeah, it all was that pretty bit open. It, it was huge. It just felt a little Deus Ex Machina to me. That's all. He straight up murders a vulture with his feet <laughs> by snapping its neck. That was that was a fun little turn. To be fair, that vulture did literally shoot Gatling guns at him. So oh I yeah, think the, I'm, I, the I'm not on the vulture's case. side here. <laughs> <laughs> just seems the response in this case slightly justified. Yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, got to put an end to that asap. One more thing about that before we move on is that that scene also is our first hint at Crocodile's power where he's talking to Sanji and he's like slowly absorbing the water out of that cup through the flower. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Indeed. Very scary bit. Very ominous. Very scary. This this is just a small thing, but we got another example of the enemy explaining their powers to people in this little chunk. Who? I think like either Mr. Five or Mr. Three just straight up says what Miss Golden Week can do. And like, yeah, sure, they could assume that since Vivi has been hanging out with the crew, like, she would already have that intel, I guess. But I still wouldn't straight up say, like, yeah, it's the paint and the colors make you do different things. And <laughs> this is the whole thing about it. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But again, whatever. Small enough detail that I don't really care. Just felt like it had to be touched on. The fact that it's kind of like a shonen trope makes me more inclined to forgive it. Yeah. But I don't think I should feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's it's tough because, like, I I don't know who the target demographic for shonen things are these days, especially after One Piece has been going on for 20 years. You know, it's the same thing mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. with Pokemon. Like, are they marketing more to children these days or the people who grew up on it? I don't know. Indeed. Plus, like... In order for us as readers to be able to understand what's the deal with Miss Golden Week, somebody has to say it, <laughs> right? Not necessarily. You don't have to, like, a, a character in the story does not need to say it. There are other ways of conveying that information. I suppose that's true. I don't know any off the top of my head. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that I could do it better. I'm not a professional writer, anything like that. Going back through again... I am being more nitpicky than a first read-through, obviously. You heard it, folks. Jordan said with his own mouth that he could write One Piece better than Oda could. Yeah, hand it over, man. It's my turn to take the reins. (laughs) That's right. Oh, speaking of Oda's writing, though, (laughs) here we get... Please tell me you're about to talk more shit. No, 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 no. (laughs) Darn. Here we get... Some very strong parallels between Dory and Bragi's relationship and Zoro and Sanji's relationship. So, yeah, I am mm-hmm. inclined to see that as Oda's way of being like, "Look, these dudes are equal." I'm getting that right out right now. <laughs> they're they're effectively the same. It could be giant sea monsters where a matter of two inches matter, but like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Indeed. Now that may or may not be the case. You know going forward in the story but i mean when you're as like as powerful as these guys are what's a little difference here and there right (laughs) exactly like he's just saying they're tough deal with it Mm -hmm. and i thought that was a a good way to handle it 
And this is kind of like, aside from a little scuffle between them, when uh, Arlong Park, where Zoro said, first told him that uh, Nami killed Usopp, that was their first like direct confrontation. But this is the first like rivalry interaction that we've seen between the two of them. Right, Something a straight up competition. theme for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I don't, to you know, this day. I like it. I'm okay with it. I still think Sanji deserves more credit, but whatever. Maybe. Uh, maybe. The last thing that I have is that I noticed a weird thing in this read-through that I don't know if I would have noticed before. Hmm. On the send-off that they have for the crew, where they do their special move and blast through the goldfish, right before that, they say that the only thing they can't cut is a snake soaked in blood. And I was like, that's weird. That's got to be like a reference to something. Mm -hmm. And after some research, I've decided that that's probably in the One Piece universe. They're probably referring to the red line itself because it the, the red line kind of parallels something in Norse mythology called the Jormungandr. Uh, and in North mythology, that is actually one of the children of Loki. It's a giant snake that holds the world together by wrapping around it and biting its own tail. So it's an Ouroboros. And that is extremely similar to the red line, which is just a chunk of land that circumnavigates the globe. And like it's shown to be pretty tough. Laboon can't get through it. I assume the giants, at least in legend or whatever, would say like they're so strong that they can cut through anything except for a serpent covered in blood, i.e. red line. Yeah, and the giants themselves are, I don't know if you noticed, Jordan, but very heavily Viking themes. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, so like, that's the whole very reason. Norse. Yeah. Very reason I jumped to Norse mythology. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Right? Yeah. I mean, Oda's all about like different cultures and whatnot, so it's it's interesting to see where he gets his inspiration from, you know? Did you recognize the actual attack they used to cut a big old hole? I did, but only because you and I have previously discussed it in recent memory. Because, Shoots. Yeah, because Big Mom pulls <laughs> off one by herself without breaking a weapon, so. Shoots. I was looking forward to dropping a knowledge bomb on you. Not now this Now you've ruined time. my fun, Jordan. <laughs> How dare you pull off knowledge that I've already told you in the past. I know. It's so unlike me to remember things. Quite so. The last thing that I had of note in this chapter, set of chapters rather, is that it's pretty impressive that Nami and Vivi could knock uh, Miss Valentine out of the sky when she was falling when she weighed 10,000 kilograms, which I did a Google calculation. Apparently that's about 22,000 pounds. That's a good that she point. Was falling with. I hadn't really considered that. <laughs> Um, it was like bop her out of the sky like, and then she was just down after that I think I wouldn't be surprised if she was exaggerating the 10,000 kilograms that could be it could just be a name or it could be similar to Usopp's two ton hammer or whatever <laughs> she just rounded up it's fine yeah exactly rounded up from like 10 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if it is canon to be 10,000 kilograms you're right that's uh, pretty insane I wonder if Nami could one shot Kaido Oh, yeah. No problem. Easy. <laughs> Indeed. Confirmed. Anything else that you have to say about the reread? No. No. I got it all out. All right. That about wraps up this episode, then. Like I said, no break next week. 
Chapter 1009 will be coming out on Easter Sunday here in the U.S., and we will talk to you guys then. Take it easy, everyone.